You are tuning into the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Well, let's get into it tonight. We've already prayed. We're ready to get into the Word. Uh, last night, we talked a little bit about Colossians uh, chapter 2, and I just want to read that to you again, um, because we're talking about shadows this week. And so in, uh, Paul writes to the church at Colossae and just simply says this in chapter 2, Verses 16 and 17, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival, a new moon, or the Sabbaths, which are all shadows of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So we recognize, as we talked about last night, that all those things there listed in the Old Testament, the things that they were doing, were all outlining what Christ was going to look like, what He would fulfill. So last night we started seeing shadows of that in the Old Testament, and we just gave you... Uh, kind of a few to look at, and uh, I always do that as teasers, so then that way uh, the pastoral staff will say, we need to have him back. So we just try to, you know, do a little bit, so it's like that Paul Harvey thing. The rest of the story will come later, um, because we've fallen in love with your church and and the city of Fairbanks and and all that. But we just gave you some of those things, and so tonight what I want to do is talk about out of the shadows. So Jesus was in the shadows here in the Old Testament, And uh, so now I want to talk about what happens when he actually steps out of the shadows. And he is that resemblance. He is that thing that it was all pointing to. And so this becomes kind of interesting because now, since those stories were written, he's going to tie himself to those stories in some ways. And so what I want to talk about tonight is, first of all, how does he do that? And then we're just going to dig into just a few examples uh, um, from the New Testament. Now, remember, we said this last night. Jesus was Jewish, right? Disciples were Jewish. He raised up as a Jewish child and Jewish traditions. He went to synagogue. He was trained in the synagogue, learned the Word of God in the synagogue. Um, And that's where they learned it. And so uh, remember this. Back in the first century, there's two things going on. There's the temple worship. And, and the synagogue life was set up. The synagogue life is fairly new around, not really new, but new how we would see it uh, in the first century in the sense that when they came back from Babylon, they recognized, you know what, we kind of did some things wrong. And uh, we went off <laughs> uh, and were taken out of our country because we kind of went astray. So maybe when we come back, maybe we should set up some things to kind of keep us more on track. Well, out of that birthed the synagogue life for those that were further away from the temple. And the synagogue life was simply that, is is that in certain areas they would have synagogues and that's where you would come and hear the reading of the word and be trained. Your kids would attend uh, school at the synagogue to learn the word of God. This is crazy. About the, from the ages of about five and seven, they would actually have the, most of uh, the book of Moses memorized. That's pretty amazing, right? Well, because what, what's going to happen? We're going to learn it because I can't carry it around. And then as you begin to grow, you begin to learn the other parts. You'd start to learn traditions. You'd learn interpretation. And so you were trained all the way up. Well, sooner or later, your greatest call was to follow, like, we would call it in today's vernacular rabbi. And even though I'll call Jesus a rabbi, it's not by what we think of in today's standards. He was just a great teacher. And so usually you would want to follow one of these yes. guys. Why would you want to do that? Because now he's going to take all that information he knows you know, and then he's going to show you how to live that life. How do, what are you, how do you see this rabbi, and how do I put feet to it? Because, I mean, if you know, it's great to know a lot of things about the word, but it's great to be able to actually practice it. 
In Hebrew, we call that halakha. We call it the walk. How will I walk out that which I've learned? And so you would follow this rabbi figure to do that because you wanted to know how to live that out. And it was a great uh, privilege and responsibility to follow a rabbi, and that's kind of what happens with the disciples. And so one of the things that he would do because of the standard of teaching and the, and the life of the synagogue is he knew that these people knew the Word of God. It was an auditory thing. And so in our Western culture, I'm going to say a lot of words. I'm going to kind of talk in a linear fashion. But back in that day, that wasn't how it was. It was they'd reference Scripture, reference certain things, trigger things in your mind because you'd heard it auditory all your life. And so the rabbi would assume you already know the scripture. And then he would quote that passage or do something to make you think about that passage. And he'd know you in context would go back to that passage and understand what he's talking about. So it's kind of an interesting uh, interaction. And so if you take all that and think about that in the writing of the New Testament then, these type of examples happen in their writings. Because remember, the writers are Jewish, so they're going to, how, how many of you know, they're going to write in that Jewish style. They're going to record the way Jesus taught. And so what he's going to do through his teachings, through his actions, some of the things he says, and some of his miracles will actually make you remember something you'd heard before. And so he won't then fill in all the blanks for you because the blanks have been filled. How? In the shadows of the Old Testament. So then you're going to interpret what he's about ready to teach with the context of what he had referenced before. So those are called triggers or winks or what we call in Hebrew a remez, uh, a hinting. And so you would hint towards a passage of scripture. People would know it. You'd continue to teach it. And so just so you know, the New Testament then is written in that idea. And Jesus' life actually connects him to those things kind of in little hints and things to look for. So through culture, understanding the time, understanding the Old Testament, you'll pick up those hints. Because remember, they're hearing it auditory. All of a sudden they see something. Jesus says a particular word and they're there. Now, one of the things that I've run across a lot is people actually think the Galilean People were ignorant, and it comes from just a couple things that we think come out of the New Testament, which it's there, but understand the culture of the time. Well, these men are unlearned men. But how many of you know the Scripture doesn't say they're unlearned? It's men saying that about the disciples. Because there's a big fight. We have temple life. We have synagogue life. And see, the Galilean men, the Galilean men, women, and children were very educated, uh, they understood the, 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 the scriptures very well. Why? Because they attended synagogue. They also lived outside of the holy city, and they actually had, especially in the Galilee, they had more interaction with the world. The Decapolis, the Gentile cities were right there. They had the major highway running through there. They actually interacted with the outside world more, and they attended synagogue regularly, and so they were very well trained. These disciples Jesus chose, they just said that because it was temple people looking down on the synagogue people. And so it wasn't that they were untrained. They were very learned men, and they understood this. And so Jesus is now going to teach that way to the religious leaders, to his disciples. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to find some hints. We're not only going to hear what he has to say, but there'll be actions. And I want you to know this is really cool, and we don't have time to do this here, but this happens throughout the entirety of the Scripture. Actually, God writes his story this way. 
If we had time, we would start all the way with creation, which is going to happen tomorrow night. We're going to look at God's goodness tomorrow night at the main service. I'm really excited. I'm really excited about what I believe God's going to do tomorrow night. But we're going to start there. Um, and if you know the creation story, that creation story, when you look for it, is repeated multiple times in the, in the stories following it. So the creation story, the fall, and different things that happen all continue, and those rhythms, those patterns, are there to continue to help us be reminded of where it all started and where we're going. So this isn't just from Old Testament to New Testament. He actually uses this style all the way through the Old Testament, in through the prophets and the writings. But tonight we're going to take then where he was in the shadows we're going to see him out of the shadows, and we're going to look for things. And tonight, I'm going to just believe you already know the Word of God, and I'm going to stare at you with dramatic pauses and wait for you to come out and say the things that you're hearing, maybe for the first time in a new reality. Now think, they've heard it through auditory, they're listening, and now all of a sudden they're going to start hearing and seeing the things of Christ. Now, it wasn't just for them. It's for us right now. And if we'll know that they're there, we'll start listening for them. And we'll connect these two that he truly was the one we've been waiting for. And so let's look at some of those. Would you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3? Matthew chapter 3. See, we got to the intro a little quicker tonight. So Matthew chapter 3. If somebody would read this. Uh, we're going to read through 13 through 17 tonight. And if you would read that out loud, um, if you would stand in your spot and read that um, out loud voluntarily to everyone else. 13 through 17. This will be uh, Jesus being baptized by John. If somebody, anybody want to read that? You do. Could you stand and read that nice and loud? And here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes tonight. Maybe you want to follow along. If you don't want to follow along, you just want to hear and just listen like you've never listened before. I want you to listen for clues, actions, things that maybe could be coming out of the shadows, things that we're meant to look for. Okay, so when you hear this story, pretend you're hearing it for the first time with the reality of what you've known before. Can we do that tonight? So, Lord, do this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, did you catch any clues? Noah and the flood and the dove. What was that? Noah, when he, after the flood, he sent out the dove, and then the dove sent it, and the birth was filled with water, and then Jesus was baptized, and reading the birth, and then he had the spirit in the sense, and... <laughs> <laughs> 
Come on up. The Jordan River. Okay. Yep. The Jordan River crossing. The Jordan River is listed. I'm going to come back to that one as well. So uh, the dove. How many of you, when she said that, how many of you, is, that's the first time you ever thought of that? Yeah, because oftentimes we just say the Holy Spirit came like a dove. Now, we're not taken away from that, but there's a reason that it's said that way. There's this thing God is trying to put. Remember, things have been kind of silent. And all of a sudden, God is going to begin to do things to make sure that the people are starting to awaken to what he's about ready to do. And so, so this is a major thing. Remember, uh, there's something going on here, very supernatural, that God's trying to get the attention of the hearers. And so we have this dove, we have the Jordan, we're going to fill in some of those gaps. Is there any other things that you saw? My son, who I'm well pleased, I've, I've, I think I've heard that before. Great. Anything else? Voice from heaven. Good. Okay, so you see this laying down and coming back up out of the water. Let's start with the dove. The dove, you said, okay, as soon as I see a dove come down, the Holy Spirit is, he could have represented anything, right? But God chose a dove. Isn't that interesting? So then I ask myself, if that's the case, I've heard that before and I need to go back. So you said it, the dove represented something that happened back in Noah and it represented what? Right. So there's this whole new beginning, that there's this saving from judgment, and God is beginning this new creation. And how many of you know, Jesus is saying, God's saying on Jesus at this moment, this is the one. This is the one that's going to bring restoration, going to save you from judgment, and I'm starting something brand new. So God, in the middle of all that, he doesn't have to say it because he already said it. He's like a dad that says, I already told you. Right, I mean, maybe my dad's the only one that said that, but nonetheless that he is actually saying, if you remember this clue, you'll recognize what I'm doing in the middle, and this is the one. So we have a dove there. Um, I, I think that that's a, um, a kind of a cool statement that he sends that, but that's not the only time that we, we see that. Is there something else? Uh, trying to be talked out of doing it. Trying to be talked out of doing it? No, don't, you don't need to do this. Mm. Yeah, just going down the idea of this thing that we'll constantly then see of knowing that there's this sense of obedience through faith that has to be done that would fulfill then all righteousness. Really powerful thing. If we take back then all the way with this dove, there's another place that it's a little bit more hidden, but I want to go there. It all, goes all the way back to uh, Genesis, because now all of a sudden we have the Holy Spirit like a dove. We've represented Noah and what he's doing there and what happens, but there's another place that's a little bit more hidden, but if we put those things together, there's another place that something happens with the Holy Spirit. Where is that? Where do we see him show up again? Creation. Creation. Exactly. So there's this chaos, kind of reminds me of the flood. There's this thing going on with this, these waters, and all of a sudden it says the Holy Spirit hovers. This word hovers is kind of interesting, because in Hebrew it's rachaf. Everyone say that. It clears. Here's what it does. It helps clear the throat of all that stuff that you've eaten. So turn to your neighbor and say rachaf. 
<laughs> rechaf. Do you know what rechaf means? Rechaf means, actually in the Hebrew, to hover or to f- uh, uh, flutter. flutter, very good, flutter like a bird. Oh, wait a second, now, now those that have been listening to the Hebrew, remember, Hebrew was re- uh, uh, read in the synagogue, it was God's holy language, so even though Jesus might have spoke some different elements, whenever you went into synagogue, it was always in Hebrew, and all of a sudden, every time they're reading this Genesis chapter 1, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and it comes, and it, or hoffs, it flutters like a bird over the chaos of the waters. So what is God trying to say? Not only am I starting there, but I'm going to take you all the way back because my earth, it's not going the way I had hoped. It's in a little bit of chaos and the Holy Spirit is coming. He's anointing this one and the light of the world is coming. And I'm going to break chaos again. I'm going to break darkness. This is the one. Yes, yes. So the reference goes all the way back to the Spirit of God starting in creation to remind us of the work that is starting right there. Chaos and darkness and light comes. Actually, you know what's cool about uh, the light listed in creation? That first light, and then there's the sun, moon, and stars, is that first light, that light that was always there, that ultimately then the sun, moon, and stars is put in. That first light, the rabbis actually call that in their commentary, the light of the world. The light that would always be there. And it's interesting that at the end, so it started with the light of the world. Jesus is called the light of the world, coming back to creation. But it's interesting in Revelation, what happens? The sun is taken away again, and there's this light of God that's there. Isn't that cool? And that's where Jesus is going to take us. And so there's all those references there taking us back to this new beginning. Pastor mentioned that there was the Jordan River. And all of a sudden there's some other references here. There's the Jordan River. And where does, uh, where does John get his lineage? So he's priest, right? So all of a sudden there's the Jordan River, and there's priesthood there, and there's also a man by the name of Yeshua, is what we say in Hebrew to call Jesus' name as Yeshua, same way of the name of Yahashua, which means salvation, and that's the name of Joshua. So what's there? The Jordan River, a priest, and a Joshua. Right? I mean, the clues are there. What is he saying? The story was already there. I'm taking my children once again, and I'm leading them, and I'm going to open the seas, I'm going to open the river, and I'm going to lead them from here to there. They were once there, but I'm taking them to a new destination, and this is my Joshua. This is my Joshua. This is the one that is going to lead you to the promised land. And so you have the Jordan, the priesthood, and the same names. Do you see? How many of you think that when you look at that now, you go, yeah, that's not by accident. He's really trying to make sure that people that are listening and looking for the clues won't miss what Jesus was. Because, you know, to tell you the honest truth, when he's walking that out from there to there, it doesn't feel like he's setting us free. 
Come on now. When he left that Jordan River, it doesn't feel like he's leading us to the promised land. But here's the thing. It's connected to that story. So now I've got to trust him because that's who it pointed to. And I don't get from here to there. I didn't get the wilderness either. But I just got to trust him because he's the Joshua. He's the one. He is salvation. And he's going to get me there. So that story was meant to just remind us. And it reminds us again today that we can trust him. He's going to get us where we need to go because he is our leader. Amen? Amen. You know what's cr really crazy about this story? This is the exact place, and someday when you come to Israel with us, we'd love you to come someday. Uh, we take people to this actual site years ago. It just opened up that this site, uh, through the Jordanian agreement with uh, uh, Israel, opened this site that this baptism site is actually the place that it happened. But what's cool about that is not only uh, uh, Jesus baptized in the Jordan, but this is the place that Israel crossed the Jordan. They oftentimes, because their story is interconnected and they saw their life as circular, they would go back to spots that meant something to them. And the reason that John picks this spot is this is where the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, and it's also the same place where Elijah passed the mantle to Elisha. All three events happened in the same location. So all those things here, all of a sudden, you know what's going to happen? The Elisha, where he slaps and says, where is the God of Elijah? This, that, that, that river splits there in that same spot. And so what is he trying to say? Here it is. Jesus is going to do his work and he's going to pass the mantle yes. to his disciples. And there's going to be power like that was on him to be on us. Yes. See, location clues are important to understand the things that God is saying. And then we can live in them. Amen? Yes. So very, very powerful things uh, going on there. We, somebody said it, uh, the words there spoken. What was it? My only son, in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I don't want to move on because I think I've heard that before. Where is that at? Holly cannot say. So where do we find that that is actually something I've heard before? What is that? He's talking about Isaac. Take your son, the one in whom you love. Your only son. So why would God speak in such a way? If you were to hear the Hebrew, likely Hebrew, if you were to hear it, it would be the same words that Genesis 22 says over Abraham and Isaac. Why does he do that? Because we saw him in the shadows of that story. Everything was going to play out. So now all of a sudden, the first time God is going to speak out of heaven again, he says, this is my Isaac. This is the one. And what did we find last night in the shadows? Three days, two people, a donkey. There's all this referencing uh, the, 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 the wood uh, on his back, him being attached to the wood, all those things. But the difference is he is the substitute. He is the lamb which John proclaims. And so we then attach Jesus' story to that story, which again, maybe we won't see all the things, but God said don't miss this because that story is already played out and he's going to fulfill this because that story was looking forward to this story and I just don't want you to miss it. So God's being that storyteller and saying, go back in the context. What do you see? And that's why the disciples, Paul, just gets so jazzed about this because he's able to put all these connections together and see this is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. Pretty powerful, huh? 
pretty cool way that God gets our attention a little bit, and Jesus comes out of those, uh, out of those shadows. Let's go to another miracle, if that's okay. Do you guys want to uh, maybe look at uh, a miracle that he does? Would that be all right? John chapter 6. Let's turn there. Before we get to the Jesus walking on some water, which is adventurous, right? Now, you guys can do that uh, in Alaska way more than most people. Like, all the time. I think year-round, can't you? Like, walk on water. It's called ice, right? Yeah, ride bikes. Yeah, it's not just walking on water. We can ride. Yeah, it's amazing. You guys fulfill the Bible all the time. God bless you. What's I don't agree with you, brother. <laughs> I was gonna, I'm going to shout out 59919, Montana. Uh, look at some of the context. Before we get into Jesus walking on the water, I want to look at some of the things that sets this up. I just want to see if you've uh, seen some things. Uh, Jesus is going to feed 5,000, and I just want to hit these references quick. Listen to what it says in John uh, chapter 6. What's interesting about John chapter 6 uh, just the entirety of the book of John. What does John say at the end of this book uh, relating to the miracles uh, and, and the writings that he had? Yeah, not enough books to even contain the things Jesus did. But then he follows up with a huge statement. What does he say, Mark? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I know. Yeah, yeah. He says, but these are written that you might believe. So what has John done? His book is amazing because he actually begins to highlight some of these references to the Old Testament. John, Matthew is very good about some prophetic things, but John takes the story and sees all the references, and a lot of his writings really talk about Jesus come out of the shadows. And if we had time, we could go to many of the miracles of Jesus and show where they're tied to Old Testament stories. It's really cool, because I don't think Jesus... Uh, John even wrote of those just by chance. He saw them connected to a deeper story, and Jesus was actually saying a lot without having to say it. So, in, in, in when he feeds the 5,000, it says, After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into the mountain, there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover feast of the Jews was near. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he says, where can we buy bread that they may all eat? Now, what's about ready to happen? He's going to, he's going to feed the 5,000, right? So in, in, uh, in other gospels, it actually says they've come to a deserted place, to a, a desert kind of a place. And now, did you catch a reference? What did the writer just tell us of the season? Passover. Okay, well, wait a second. It's Passover. And all of a sudden, this one, Jesus, is going to feed the multitude with an abundance of bread. Now, what is, wait a second, what is that referencing? Yeah, so it's a desert experience. It's this manna. And then look at, at the end of this miracle. Uh, it says in verse 12, When they filled uh, and said unto his disciples, Gather up the frag fragments that remain, let nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, filled twelve baskets with the fragments, fragments of the five barley, and whatever uh, remained over and above what they had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, this is of truth, that the prophet should come into the world. Now wait a second. It's around Passover. They're out 
away from everything, a deserted place, and there's this supernatural bread that shows up. And did you hear what they just said? Now, sometimes we can read this into a place that they say, oh, well, they missed the Messiah. They just called him a prophet. But catch what they just said. Does anybody know what they just said? This, this is a prophet. What prophet are they talking about? Moses. Moses. Why? Write this down if you're taking notes tonight. Deuteronomy 18 promises what? That there would be a prophet like you that was going to come and they will listen to him. So what are they actually saying? They're in a desert place. There's this time of Passover's near. And all of a sudden out there, there's this bread of heaven. Wait a second. This is connected to who? Moses. This is the prophet that's been promised. They're putting together these clues. Listen to this though. Let's, I'm just going to relay a little bit of the life of Jesus for you just to throw these things out. He goes to Egypt. He disappears. He comes back. Through some other circumstances, he finds himself at a water time with, uh, with uh, uh, John. From this water experience, he goes out into the desert, and he's out into the desert for 40 days. He overcomes temptation out in the desert for those 40 days. And the Bible tells us in this uh, narrative that the next place he goes is to a mountain. And on that mountain, he sits down and teaches us the Beatitudes. Wait a second. That sounds a lot like some references that God had this figured out. And it doesn't just say that for no reason. That order is important. How many of you know He's redeeming those things? Where the children of Israel gave in to those temptations and fell, He overcame them. And He went out of that desert for those 40 years. He was there for 40 days. And from there, it says He went up on the mountain. And what, what happened in the desert? God came down on a mountain and taught the Word to a newly freed people. And here, Jesus, it says that He came and sat. And actually, brother... If you take the word sat in Hebrew and the rested that it says about God in Exodus chapter 19, those words are exactly the same. That's why the writer says that Jesus sat. It's because he is referencing this idea that God has come down and he's opening his mouth and giving the people the path and the journey because they're going to be free too. Come on, yeah! Isn't it exciting? Because you don't get a better writer than this, right? And he's hooking all those things together so we wouldn't miss it. So think of that context of what's going on. And then all this desert experience, this might be the prophet, this is all that. And then all of a sudden there's a water experience that happens. Isn't that interesting? There's this water experience that happens. And let's just read about that. Let's uh, read this. Uh, if somebody wants to read John chapter 6, if you'd read 16 through 21. Remember, this is in the book of Matthew chapter 14 as well as Mark chapter 6. But if somebody would stand up and read this out loud, nice and loud, 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake to Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Strong winds were blowing, and the water proved rough. When they had rowed, Take you into the boat. 
Perfect. Yep. There's some things that uh, we can take from this. Um, Jesus says, hey guys, we're going to get to some of the other parts, but he does declare something. He's like, it's me. It's me. Now, if you were to take this from the Greek here, how many of you know what the Septuagint is? Septuagint was the Hebrew put into the Greek before the time of Christ. They got together and, and, and translated it into the Greek. But if you were to take the Greek from here, I am, this is me, this would be the same Greek word used when God says, I am that I am. These are actually saying, I am the I am. And we know that to be ever-present with you. So, guys, don't worry, I'm here, connecting himself. But here's what I want to say. Is there something about him walking on water? How many of you know Jesus wasn't there to impress anybody? He wasn't there showing off, right? What was he doing by walking out to those guys that night? Was he saying something that was declaring something deeper? Because we look at it and we go, wow, that's cool, he walked on water. But does that reference something? Is, it, is he actually saying something to us without saying it? Creation. Overall creation. Because he stands above those things. The waves don't hinder him nothing. And we find some of those writings in the Old Testament. One of the places that's kind of obscure, you can write this down and go there. Uh, actually, why don't we go there? Uh, if somebody would just go there, you could write it down. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 18. This is the flood. If somebody would read that out loud, just one verse. Um, but again, why is he walking and is it supposed to remind us of something? Is it telling us something and connecting us to another story? So, yeah. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the waters. And you're like, what are you talking about, right? But isn't it weird that they have to tell us that it floated on the water? In our English translation, that's kind of what it says, just floated on the water. And that's just an odd thing to waste words on. We know a boat floats, right? It's been floating for a while now. But that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew doesn't say that it's floating there. The Hebrew uses a weird word here. It's the word halach. Uh, the word halach actually means it is walking. Why would it use, there's other Hebrew words that can be used for floating, a boat floating, and it happens to use the word halak. Actually, what's interesting is, is when we talk about how to walk, we say that we are learning halakha, meaning I understand the scriptures, I want to learn halakha, that is how to walk. This word is the boat halak. That's not the exact way, but do you see what I'm, I'm taking and, uh, and adding the, uh, the, the, the verbiage of the, uh, the Hebrew, right? It halak. What does that mean? It means it walked. So what is being said here? He's connecting himself to the ark. Because what saved them? The ark. Who is he? The ark. He is the one that is going to save them. But here's some other passages of Scripture that, uh, that you should look at. In uh, Job chapter 8. Why don't we go there? Let's go to Job chapter 8. If you're there, you can start reading it. Somebody for me. 8 through 12. Yep. Nice and loud. Point towards everybody so they can hear you. Job chapter 8 and 8 through 12. 
and Shuhai answered and said, How long will you speak these things? On those words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Does God preserve judgment? Uh, I'm sorry, did I say eight? I meant nine. Sorry about that. Job chapter 9, verse... Let's start with 8. Job 9, 8? Yeah, sorry. 9, 8 through 12? Yeah, just read verse 8 to start with. Verse 8. Job 9, 8. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Well, wait a second. Who alone? God alone. God alone. He's speaking about God alone is the one that treads on the sea. Woo! All of a sudden, what is he associating his walking on the sea to? Not only to the ark, not only to the protection that you'd find in judgment, but now he's actually associating himself with all the Almighty. Who's the only one that treads on the sea? The Almighty. He alone is the one that treads on the sea. So now all of a sudden, it wasn't just to show off. It was to remind them, hey guys, if you're listening, I know you know the word. And you know that we've been teaching and we've heard of the past. That there's only one that understands the waves. There's only one that can tread there. There's only one that can be there. And that's the Almighty. And I want you to know, I am the Almighty. Now... The book of Mark says something. We're going to continue to have you read. I love you just standing there and everybody's staring at you, brother. And uh, no, I'm just kidding you. Uh, but Mark adds something in there. He actually says, and it would be that he would almost pass by. Hmm. Isn't that an interesting thing that Mark associates with the same thing? He says, it's almost as if though we'd pass by. Now listen to the rest of this passage. Go ahead. So all the way up to, uh, let's go to verse 12. Nine, nine. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chamber of the south. He does great things past finding out. <laughs> yes, wonders without number. Mm. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away... Who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Yeah, so right there, did you hear it? If he would pass by. So he's actually referencing this moment in the book of Job. And I don't think it's only there. There's another place that if I think about him passing by and him revealing his very nature, does all, does, is there a time that you saw that before? With Moses, right? What was, what was happening to Moses? Moses says, man, if I'm going to lead, I need to see part of your glory. I need, if I'm going to continue, I need to see this. And it is as if though the glory of God would pass by. And that's what Jesus was doing. Guys, I know you're going to need to know who I am to get through this because you're going to go and change the world. And you've got to know that I've been the promised one. I am the creator. I created everything under the seas, over the seas. I'm the one and I'm passing by to reveal my glory to you. And if you'll see it, if you'll listen, you You'll be able to get from here to there. Why? Not because of something in you, but because you know who I am. How did Moses be able to lead the people? He got a glimpse of the glory of God. And Jesus in that moment says, I'm revealing who I am to you because I'm calling you to a place that you'll have to know who I really am. Yes. Yes. 
and he chooses to walk. How many of you know, well, couldn't you choose other things? Why in the middle of a storm? I'm rowing for hours, and that's what you choose? But how many of you know if we're looking for the revelation of God at times in our lives, it doesn't come at the most peaceful times? And here he is in the midst of that moment revealing his very nature so that they would hold on because he knew what they were about ready to face. I am the Almighty. I am the One. If you'll uh, write this down, we won't go here tonight, but there's some other references. Actually, it comes out of the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. There's this angel that begins to talk to Daniel that's not like any others, and he, it actually says that he is above the waters. When he's speaking, he's above the waters. What's really cool about this passage, Tim, is, is that the rabbis taught that the Messiah at one time will be somebody that will be able to be above because they believed that this messenger was that representation and all of a sudden Jesus is out there walking. Pretty cool stuff, huh? How many of you know that he's declaring these things so that we might see them? Let's go to one more tonight. I think we have time for one more. Would that be all right? Let's go to another great story in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew and chapter 17. Now, if we had time, we could. there's chock full of these in the scriptures, and uh, we could continue, but here's what I'm trying to do. Remember, uh, tomorrow night we're going to talk about ca catching the shadows. We're going to teach some ways on catching some of these things and putting all this stuff together so that you're empowered to go and do it. But it's one of those things, how many of you, I'm, I'm sharing my age, how many of you even eat Fruit Loops anymore? Does anybody? <laughs> or how many would, you, would admit that you actually do eat Fruit Loops every once in a while? How many of you love the milk when you're all done, right? It's all colorful and beautiful and sugary and delightful. And, uh, and, and how many of you remember, some of you remember this, you turned, how many of you ever read the cereal boxes 400 times as you ate the cereal, right? And Fruit Loops was the best. You turned that thing around and every so often, Toucan Sam was on the back and you'd have to find as many Toucan Sams as you could, right? And every morning reading that thing. But how many of you know, when you're trying to find that first Toucan Sam, it's kind of difficult, right? But as soon as you find what it looks like, all of a sudden, they become more and more clear. It's like it speeds up. And that's what I want to do this week. It's just give you some Toucan Sams in there. See and you see them. And then all of a sudden, even some of you came last night and said, how about this connection? And how about this connection? And I'm like, yes. Because I just want you to get excited about the Word of God and see what it's saying there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, this is the transfiguration. And there's a lot here, and there's a lot of other things going on, but I just want to read a few parts of this because you know this story very well. It says this in verse 1, After six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, brings them up into the high mountain apart. Uh, again, where is he taking him? And isn't it interesting that he's taking them up on a high mountain, and there's days given and all those things. That's for another time. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as light, and behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then answered Peter and said, Jesus, unto Jesus, said, Lord, is it good for us to be? If it is good for us to be here, let us make these three tabernacles, one for you, one for uh, Moses, and one for Elijah. And what, while he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were afraid. Now this statement out of 
this transfiguration, there's a whole what's going on. There's clouds, there's a mountain, there's a, a, a shining uh, uh, that's taking place on Jesus. There's Moses and Elijah. And how many of you know the reason that Moses and Elijah are there? Those are the two major scrolls of the Old Testament that were pointing to him. It's like this proclamation that these guys were representative and witnesses of the one that's here. And that transformation that's going on is that highlight of God upon his life. And, and, uh, and so then God speaks. And for many of us, we just kind of go right past this and say, oh, the, he said this at the river. Um, but there's a few more elements here that sometimes we miss. I want you to note what it says. It says, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So there's some things here that are added that if you're not listening, we just skip on by and go, oh, God spoke about this before. But there's elements here that are a little different. Now, the teachings of the time, especially in the first century, was when the Messiah would come, he would actually be the fulfillment of all the books of the Bible, that he was what they were pointing to. And back then, there was three divisions. We know what, which one? Moses, the prophets, and then there was the writings. Now, if you were to take that, the first one was called the Torah, the first five books, uh, the next one was the Nevi'im, the prophets, and then the Ketatim was the writings. So you had the, the Torah, you had the prophets, and you had the writings. Now, if we were to say all those with just, remember, Hebrew doesn't have uh, vowel, or, uh, vowels in it, and so we wouldn't have the vowels. We would just take each of those first letters of those Hebrew words, and we have the word Tanakh. And Tanakh is just the Old Testament, the Older Testament. That's, the, that's all those things. Even today, if you were to go up to somebody and say, can I have your Tanakh, they would hand you their Old Testament. So that represented all those books together. So they believed that, that when the Messiah would come, he would be the fulfillment of all those books because he's written there. Now, God says some, something pretty wild on the top of this mountain that these men hear, and I think he's actually using this hinting thing. I want, you to show, I want to show you this. He's actually doing something to these men that knew that, were looking for the Messiah, and he says this. Listen to what he says. What is God saying in these words? This is my beloved son. This comes from Psalms chapter 2 and verse 7. God is quoting Scripture. Listen to what Psalms chapter 2 verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So what is, what is God doing? He's doing like what they do back then. He's quoting a part of the scripture for you to go there. What just happened? Where is this found in the book of Psalm? This is the writings. So God is saying, this is part of the writings. Listen to the next part. It says, with whom I'm well pleased. Write this one down. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, and whom... I love, or my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him, he'll bring forth justice to the Gentiles. This is God quoting, whom I'm well pleased. Where did this come from? This comes from Yeshiahu, or Isaiah, and that is prophets. So we've got the writings, we've got the prophets. And then it says, listen to him. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your fellow Israelite, you must listen to him. What did God just do? That's from the Torah. All of a sudden, he just said, 
This is Him. And did you notice that each of those scriptures deal with the Messiah-like abilities and what He's going to do? And God, right in that moment, is quoting that book over Him and saying, you guys are looking for the fulfillment of the scriptures? Here He is. Here's the Torah. Here's the prophets. And here's the writings. It's all in Him. And here He is. And that's why Peter goes, I need to build a tabernacle. I need to build a spot, a tent. And uh, that actually is referencing to the Feast of Tabernacles. Because when you go back to the Old Testament, any time God would do a monumental thing, they would build a tent in honoring Him and fulfillment of promise. And that's, Peter's just being a good Jew boy. He's not actually saying, I, I just want to get involved here. Uh, I just want to do something good. He's actually saying, our people build tents in representing that God has shown up. And when God shows up, we built a tent because we want Him to dwell with us and not leave. What is He saying? You are the one. And God quotes that to a people that understood the word. And for us even today to go, you know, He's not just saying something again. He's actually saying, this is the one that has been promised and He's come out of the shadows. This is the Messiah. This is the prophet. This is the one that's going to bring my message. He is your Joshua. He is your leader. He is your priest. He is your king. He is the one that's promised and He's going to get you from here to there and He's going to restore you again and He's going to protect you. He's going to do all those things and He's Almighty God and that is Him, ladies and gentlemen. And so he came out of the shadows to declare he's the one. And so tonight, I just wanted to take a few moments and just maybe you're here. And you, you know, I mean, we can see it tonight. His word is clear that this writing was declaring this one and, and he's that perfect one that we've been waiting for. But even tonight, I know that all of you here probably say, you know, I know him, but you know, circumstances around us sometimes get a hold of us and start telling us things about our God that aren't true. Yeah. Circumstances, things may be going on, and the word time and time again, especially to the disciples, was all about, hey guys, this is the one. He is it. There is no other. He is the one moving. He is the one that's all powerful. And He is the miracle worker. Yes. And today maybe you've come in and you've said, you know, Maybe a little bit of my circumstances have been kind of stealing away from that. Maybe I haven't seen him as the promise keeper I once saw him as. Maybe I don't believe him for the miracles I once did. Maybe there's some things in your life that you go, you know, I believed that about him at one time. But man, I picked up some pain along the way. How many of you experienced some pain? And you wondered where he was in the midst of all that. And I felt like as I wanted to close tonight, it just felt like as we bow our heads and we just take some time, I just simply want to ask you, do you know Him? Do you know Him to be all this? Is there places in your life and actions you're taking that would say, you know, I'm not sure that my life is really declaring all that He really is. And maybe there's places that I need to believe Him once again for this. I need to believe Him once again for this. And I felt like tonight as we'd close, that's what the Lord may be asking. Do you know me? Do you remember who I am? Do you remember that moment I saved your life? Do you remember that time that I came in and rescued you? Do you remember that time that I answered that prayer, came alongside and whispered that truth to you? 
I think tonight as we've seen him to be the promised one, he's calling us back again. Just to say, God, you are who you said you are. And Lord, I want to live that way. I wish I could say I'm just saying that to you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm saying it to myself. That when I walk out those doors, I want to live like I know him. I want to face my circumstance like I know him. And I know I'm going to fail. But I want to try to take active part in living what I know to be true. And I want to stay in this thing that keeps declaring that He is the one over the chaos, over the seas, the miracle worker, the promised one. I want to walk it. So let's stand tonight and we're going to go and, and just believe God for great things in our main service as well. Father, tonight we come running back. Lord, we come running back. And so, Father, if there's some in this room tonight that would just say, you know, maybe I'm not walking like I once did. Maybe there's things that have kind of stole, maybe even stole my joy in following Him. And tonight, as you've declared who you are through your word, Father, we just want to come running back. We know who's in the boat with us. We know He's Almighty God. He is the Creator. We have been restored into the Father's house. And Lord, we want to walk like children of God. People that believe You for the miraculous, for the one that can change the chaos, bring light into darkness, change the atmosphere in a moment. You are the one, O God. And we declare that once again. And Lord, I want to be like Peter. I want to build you space. I want to build you a space so that you, you know, that you just be right here. And so, Father, if there's spaces in my heart, spaces that have been filled up with other things, doubt and unbelief, God, we just say, take that away. Have more room here. We want to build you a resting place in our lives. Oh, God, do it in us, oh, God. Do it in us. We come running back to you, God. Thank you that you are the restorer, that you bring us back, oh, God. Blessed be your name, God. We celebrate you as creator. We celebrate you as almighty God. Our redeemer, the ancient of days, the almighty, we bless you, Father. And so, Lord, just cover all of us in this room tonight as we run back to you and then run from that spot out to a world that needs to hear about it. And, Father, tonight in the service, Lord, we're going to worship the Creator God, the Almighty, the One that is above all things. We're going to lift you up, O God. And Father, as the word comes forth, I pray the miraculous would come. I pray signs and wonders would come down. Lord, as your gifts are declared tonight, I pray your gifts would just begin to flow through this body and that you would do mighty things as we gather in your name tonight. We bless you. Walk, Lord, among us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. What a fantastic service. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.